You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, this is week number four in our series called The Truth About Suffering. And uh, I've really enjoyed this series. We're going to talk about some things today that are very applicable to the day and time in which we live. Now, we've been basing our our study on the, the case study in the Bible about suffering, who is Job, right. Job is the the biblical case study that most of us base our understanding about suffering on. We've talked a lot about uh, the actual book of Job. We've talked about some things about Job's life. And I want you to always remember, you know, again, what Job experienced was very bad. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But keep in perspective, and we said this in the first couple of lessons, that all of what happened in 42 chapters in that book transpired in six to nine months, most historians and theologians say. And so, you know, this wasn't a prolonged lifetime experience. Job went on to live well over 200 years. And so, you know, listen, I, again, I'm not belittling what he went through, but the older I've gotten, how many of you realize how fast six months goes by, nine months goes by? And when you look back on it, it was just a very, very short period of time. And so, again, we, we often focus on this and look at it, and we, we think that it was a lifetime of experience, but it was a short-lived thing that happened. Again, we don't take away from anything that happened, but the good news is that he came through it. Hallelujah. It's like the scripture says, it came to pass. Anything you may be encountering in life, it has come to pass. It, it, it's, it's, it has an end, an expiration date to it. Now, we've been basing our study on James chapter 5, uh, verses 10 and 11, and James gives us what we are supposed to extract from the book of Job and what we're supposed to learn about it. So let's see what, what James says. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Now, patience means consistency. One thing that, you know, Job got some things wrong, and we'll talk about that in a few moments, but one of the things he did get right is he hung in there and he stayed with it. He didn't turn his back on God and that's what the devil was after. Uh, you know, even his wife said, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> you know, I'm glad I haven't found a wife like that, you know, <laughs> okay? But anyway, what um, the, the thing that I want you to see is, is that, that Job had consistency, now, in verse 11 says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Everybody say, endure. And then he goes on to say, You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord is very, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, uh, again, uh, the, the devil sought to destroy Job's life but God had an intended end, and we see that in Job chapter 42, where the Bible says that when Job forgave and prayed for his friends, that the Lord restored double what he had lost in, in the whole situation. So God's plan all along 
was to bring Job out and to elevate him, take him to a different level. Matter of fact, here's a point that we've been making every week, and that is this. These verses, James 5, 10, and 11, tell us to be inspired by Job's patience, his consistency, his perseverance, and endurance, and the mercy and grace of the Lord that brought great deliverance. So I'm glad that God brought Job out, aren't you? Now, in spite of all of these things, most people, as we have been saying, base their understanding of God on what they read in this Old Testament book. And as we have said, Job, chronologically speaking, is the oldest book in the Bible. Job did not have a relationship with God personally. Everything Job learned about God, he learned by hearsay and, uh, you know, what he was told. And, uh, you know, I find that's true with a lot of people today. A lot of people today who, who really don't have an, a, an experience with God for themselves have based their perception, their understanding of God and who he is based on the human suffering that they see going on in the world. You've heard it said, if God is such a good God, why do, why do bad things happen in the world today? Why do all the things that we see going on in the world happen and so they base their understanding of God on what they see happening and the, the suffering that humanity is, is going through. And they do it today. And listen, they did it back then as well. And so that's what we're going to see today. You know, and the question that I have for these friends of Job, the people that were surrounding Job's life, and for people today is how do we get this so wrong? How do we miss God by a country mile when it comes to uh, our perception of him? You know, there are pre preachers, sad to say, preachers who will stand in pulpits this morning and will say things like, you know, God uh, causes situations and calamity and destruction and, and bad things that, that happen in people's lives in order to draw them close to get their attention and all of those types of things. Maybe you've heard it said, you know, Uncle Fred had a heart attack and he was in the hospital and while he was in the hospital, God really ministered to him. Well, guess what? He could have drawn near to God when he was at home and not in the hospital. It's just, here's what happens. Human nature is when we experience a tragic or traumatic event, very often, what do we do? We run to God. You've seen it in the movies, you know, hey, God, if you'll get me out of this situation, I'll do this or thus, okay? And what happens? Well, God gets them out of that situation, and a lot of times we see where they, they didn't fulfill their end of the promise. And so, again, how do we get this so wrong? Well, the same thing happened in Job's day that happens today. People miss God by what they see about him. So, the book of Job is a book of extremes. So let me show you this list. Job's life his, and the story of his life was a story of extremes. And here's some things that I want you to see. The first thing is Job was an extremely good man. The Bible says that he was a good man, that he tried to follow what he believed was right. He chose good over evil. The next thing we see is that the book of Job, that Job was extremely wealthy. You know, we talked about his net worth and all of the assets that he had. And so Job was a very wealthy man. 
The next thing we see about this book is that he was extremely tested by the devil in every area of his life. He was attacked physically. He was attacked in his family. He was attacked with his goods. He, every area of his life, Job was tested by the devil. And here's the last thing that I want you to see and that we're going to focus on today, and that is this. Job was extremely lacking in his information about God. Now, if anybody read through the book of Job, okay? All right, anybody read it since we started this study? Okay, well, one thing you will realize about the book of Job is it's 42 chapters long and 38 of those chapters are debate about God, who he is, did he do it, did he not, why did he do it, all this kind of stuff. And so what you see is 38 chapters of Job's debate with his three friends. By the way, if you have three friends like Job had, you need to get some new friends, okay? Because these guys show up, and, and I'm not really sure. The Bible doesn't make it crystal clear what their motivation was. I think they came to try and help Job, but they actually did Job a lot of harm, because these guys knew nothing about God, but yet they showed up in Job's life and tried to tell him about God. And so because of this, Job did not have very much information about God at all. So that causes some situations to happen. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Problems happen when people try and interpret God by their circumstances and not the Word of God. In other words, when people try and figure God out based on what's happening in their lives, they will miss God when God, and particularly us today, you know, at least we're better off than Job was in the sense that we have a Bible, okay? But the thing that happens is even with a Bible, 66 books filled with truth about God and his character, people will still try and understand God based on what's happening in their lives and in their circumstances. Okay, maybe you've been guilty of this. Well, listen, we're going to show you today some things to kind of help you change your thinking a little bit, and then uh, I'm going to show you what you need to do, what the, what the response needs to be. So let's jump right on into this. Let's talk about some things, some misbeliefs that Job had about God. And maybe most of you have been coming to this church long enough that I've helped show you from the Word, uh, and you don't still believe these things, but I, I want you to be equipped so maybe you can help somebody else, all right? So let's look at these misbeliefs that Job had. Here's the first one. Write this down, please. God must be mad at me, and that is why I'm going through this suffering and calamity. And you know what? That's what Job's three friends showed up to tell him. Job, you have messed up so bad, you've honked God off so much that that's why all this is happening in your life, okay? And listen, I want you to understand something. There is a wrath of God. There is an anger of God, but God never pours out that anger on his people, okay? Are you, are you listening to me? Hello? Okay, all right, just cough or something so I know you're still here. All right, so let's look at Job chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, and let's see what Job was taught. He said, remember now whoever perished being innocent. In other words, 
if, if your life was taken, it's because you were guilty of something. Or where were the upright ever cut off, even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same, by the blast of God they perish, and look at this, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. So Job, here's your deal, man. You've messed up, and so God is upset with you. He's mad at you, and that's why all this has happened. And you know what? There are people that still believe that today. Maybe you have a little bit of that going on in your heart where, you, you know, just deep down, you're not totally convinced that God is not mad at you. Well, let me tell you something. If you're a believer today and you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you never will experience the wrath and anger of God. Why? Because God poured out his wrath and anger on Jesus on the cross for you so you wouldn't have to experience that. By the way, little side note, uh, you know, for those of you who might be mid-trib or post-trib, do you know what that means? That's a theological term that means you believe that you're going to go through the tribulation or we're going to leave halfway through the tribulation and we're going to have to go through some of the things that the world is going to have to go through when God's wrath is poured out and so forth. Listen, uh, you can stick around and tribulate if you want to, but as for this church, we believe in pre-trib, all right? We're going on the first bus load out of here, amen? Okay, so I just want to make sure you understand that. Now, let's talk about something for just a moment. How many of you know that because of Adam's sin, there was a curse of sin and death released into the earth? Everybody understand that, okay? And that curse is still in the earth today. Now, one day it's going to be removed, but right now it is still in the earth. And even though Jesus died to set people free from the curse of sin and death, the curse is still here, and you can make the choice to receive him and to receive what he did for you and live free from the curse of sin and death. But here's the tragedy, is that there are people who are Christians who maybe don't know or don't fully understand and still live under the curse of sin and death when they have been set free from that. Okay, so what does that mean? What that means is that there is a, a curse in the earth that if you get involved and out there in that curse, you will experience death and destruction, sickness, disease, all those types of things that come along with it. I want you to, to, to understand something. Did you know prior to Adam's sin, there was no sickness or disease? There was no poverty and lack. There was no death. Matter of fact, uh, Adam was so filled with the life of God, and, and we don't know how long Adam lived. We just know he lived 930 years after he sinned, okay? He could have lived hundreds of thousands of years before that, but the Bible tells us that after he sinned, he lived 930 years, because I, I want you to think about this. There was so much of the life of God in him that when he opened the door to the curse 
and sin and death came into his life, it took almost a thousand years for that to kill him. Okay, now what's happened is over the thousands of years since Adam's life, that time has gotten compressed to where it doesn't take as long for that curse to begin to, to affect our lives. So that curse is out there. And if you want to live under that curse, you can. It's up to you. It's your choice. Now, let's talk about what judgment is. What is the judgment of God? Because it is a real thing, and the Bible talks about it. Now, in this dispensation, the church age in which we live, I want to just describe to you what the judgment of God is. It is simply this, where because of persisting in sin and, and trying to live your life like you want to live and separate from God's will, plan, and purpose, what God has to do is take his hand off of your life and take his protection off of your life, and you are now exposed to whatever the world is experiencing. So really, if God uh, wants to judge somebody, the worst thing he can do for you is leave you alone. Think about that, okay? But I'm glad that, you know, listen, if you're in love with Jesus, you don't have to fear the judgment of God. Aren't you glad? Okay, so judgment is not God has a baseball bat and he's waiting to beat you up with it every chance he gets. No, judgment is simply his hand of grace and mercy being taken off of your life and him leaving you alone to experience what is already in the earth, okay? Now, here's the good news of the gospel. God has done everything he can and, and paid a tremendous price to get you free from that and to deliver you and bring you out. And so that's what, what the, the goodness of God is all about. Now, I want to show you a verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. It says this, and for this is one of the scriptures that, that I believe tells us that not only is God not mad at us now, but you and I as believers are not going to have to go through the tribulation, and that is this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but he has appointed us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're born again in here, again, and there's other scriptures that say basically the same thing, you are not going, based on what I believe, now again, you can tribulate if you want to, but based on what I see from the word of God, God will deliver his people out of the earth before this happens. Now, let me show you this verse in the Good News Translation. It says this, God did not choose us to suffer his anger. What, what kind of God would he be if he sent Jesus to the cross to die that horrible death, to have our punishment placed on him, Jesus died, was buried, was raised from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, only for you and I to have to go through what Jesus paid to deliver us from. That would tell me God's not a very successful God because he didn't accomplish his mission. And we know that's not the truth. So God did not choose us to suffer his anger, but to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, here's the second misbelief 
that Job had. Number two, God is involved in causing death. God is involved in causing death. Now, let me tell you a little something about God and everybody that's associated with him, meaning the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit, okay? There is no death in God. God is absolute life. There's no death in him, none. Everything that he touches experiences life. Now, let's forget the Old Testament for just a second, okay? Not to take away from it, but just, just hold your thought on the Old Testament for one second. Is there anybody in here that believes that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the will of God and displayed God's character in the earth, okay? Is there any time in the four Gospels where we see where Jesus went up to a perfectly healthy person, laid his hands on them, and they died? Now, that sounds silly to us, okay? But there are people that actually believe that that's what God does, that when God touches your life, death can come upon you. God has no death. There is no death in heaven. There is no death in God. Death is in the earth, okay? Now, my Bible tells me that Jesus came. What does John 10, 10 say? The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and to destroy Jesus, being God's representative in the earth, said, I have come that you might have a little bit of life. Huh? Life that just, maybe just a touch. No. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you have it more abundantly. Okay? So, let me show you. Job 121. Now, here's what Job responded when calamity struck his life. In the very first chapter... He said this, and maybe you've heard this at a funeral or two. Naked I came from my mother's grave, or my mother's womb rather, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, I have heard that at a funeral or two. Maybe you have as well. And see what people have done is they've taken this verse, and as I said to you in the, in the very first lesson, one of the things that you have to do in Bible interpretation is consider the source. Who is doing the talking? And so, yes, it is true that Job said this, but it is not a statement of truth. Okay? Because the Lord does not give and the Lord does not take away. That's not his character. Okay? All right. So, Here's another verse, Job 30, verse 23. Job said this, For I know that you, God, will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. In other words, God, if death shows up in my life, I know it came by your hand. Okay? And that's what a lot of people believe even today, is that if death touches your life, well, you know, God just needed another angel in heaven. That's why that little baby died, because God just needed another little flower in his garden. Listen, I've heard that at funerals. I've heard preachers say stuff like that. 
And you know why preachers say stuff like that? And I can say this because I are one, all right? Preachers say stuff like that because we don't want to stand in somebody's face and say, I don't know why this happened, when really they don't know why it happened. And it might not be any of their business to find out why it happened. But what we do to try and salve and soothe people's pain is we tell them, forgive me, dumb stuff like that. That just is not true. First of all, people don't die and go to heaven and become angels. God has plenty of angels. He doesn't need any more. If he does, he'll create some. Okay? People don't die and become angels. People die and go to heaven if they're born again and, and are still who they are when they get to heaven. God doesn't take the life of little children because he needs little flowers in heaven. I mean, that is nonsense, okay? God doesn't do things like that, all right? So this is the misconception, the misbelief that God is in the death business. Death has never been God's idea. It was never part of his plan. When God re recreated the earth and put Adam in the garden and put him there, it was never God's intent for death to ever be in the earth, ever. But he put Adam in charge, and Adam's wife got deceived. She took of the fruit, gave it to Adam. They both partook of it. And in their sin and rebellion against God, they opened the door and let the devil bring death into the earth. Let me read to you Romans 5, 17. says this, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. I love the fact that God's grace, his mercy, his righteousness, everything about him will always overcome death. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Now, pastor, are you saying that we will never die? No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is live out your life until you are satisfied, then go home to be with the Lord and listen, listen, you don't have to die sick. Just go sit down somewhere and go home. Okay? All right, are, are you listening to me? Okay. Now, thank God for heaven. Thank God we have that to look forward to. Okay? And so believers, even if something does happen and their bodies cease to function, you know, by some accident or sickness or whatever the case is, thank God for heaven. Listen, heaven is awesome, and it is the ultimate healing. You do understand that, right? Okay, so am I helping anybody? All right, so here's the third thing, the third misbelief that Job had, and that is this. God uses suffering to teach us a lesson. God uses suffering to teach us a lesson. Now, I will say this. Let me, let me read you what Job's perception was. Job 5, 17 and 18 says this. Behold, y'all know what behold means, right? Looky here, all right? Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects 
Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Now, I will say this. I agree wholeheartedly with that statement. God does chasten us. God does correct us. And I'm going to explain to you how in just a second. So Job was right on in the first part of this. But look at what he said in the latter part in verse 18. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but, makes, but his hands make cold. In other words, if you mess up, God will beat you up. But don't worry, he'll heal you after he beats you up. That's what he's saying, okay? So, so listen, God does chasten us. God does correct us. But listen to me. God will never, ever, ever use something that Jesus has redeemed you from in order to instruct you, teach you, and correct you. He will never use sickness and disease he will never use tragedy and calamity. God will never employ those things in order to teach and train and correct you. Never. See, again, uh, what happens is in those situations, we have a tendency to draw near to God. And listen, if you crack the door this much for God, he will step in. So, and he'll endeavor to help you. So it will oftentimes when we draw near to God, when we're under pressure or in situations, that God will bring revelation and insight. And so therefore, to the religious mind, it will appear as though God orchestrated that situation so he could teach you whatever it is you learn in that situation. But you could have learned that without being in the situation. Amen. Okay. Look at, look at what Jesus said. Again, do you believe Jesus over Job? All right. Jesus said this, but the helper, John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit, everybody say Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, not it, he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Okay, so let's, Let's break this down, do like I do in my analytical study, and that is this, uh, the Holy Spirit, who is a he, is your teacher. Notice it never says it will be your teacher. Whatever you're going through will be your teacher. Whatever your circumstances are, that will be your teacher. No, the Holy Spirit is your teacher, not sickness and disease, not tornadoes, not heart attacks, not calamity and tragedy. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. So that brings to bear then, how does he teach us? Well, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Every scripture is God-breathed. This is the Amplified Bible, given by his inspiration and profitable for, look at this, instruction, reproof, conviction of sin for correction of error and discipline in obedience and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will and thought, purpose, and action. So Paul just told us, writing to Timothy, what the Holy Spirit will employ in order to teach, correct, and instruct you, and that is God's Word. Okay, now 
somebody might bring to bear the question that says, well, does God ever test us? Yes, he does. But listen to me carefully. James chapter 1, we won't turn there, but James chapter 1 says this, do not let anyone when he is tempted, tested, or tried say, I am tempted, tested, or tried by God because God does not tempt, test, or try anyone with evil, nor is he tempted that way. Okay? So what that tells me is, yes, God will try me, but never with evil. Is cancer evil? Some of you aren't sure. Is sickness and disease evil? Yes. Is poverty evil? Is, is our, our relationship problems evil? Okay? All right? God will never test you with that. Here's what God tests you with. Obedience. Obedience. He'll do, like, do you like he did Abraham or Abram at the time, tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I need you to leave your family, go to a land that I'm going to show you, and follow me. And he watched to see would Abram obey him. God will do stuff like that to you. Hey, tap you on the shoulder. I need you to forgive them even though they hurt you. And he wants to see if you'll obey. Okay? And what happens is, guess what? If you fail the test, you get to take it over. You get to take it over until you pass it. So guess what? If, if, if I guarantee you, I promise you, or your money back, if you don't pass the test of forgiveness with this person right here, I promise you there's going to be somebody else that's going to get on your last nerve. They're going to make you mad. They're going to offend you, and you're going to have another test and run around that bush again to see will you obey God. And you have a choice. And guess what? Until you decide to obey, you're going to keep encountering that same situation. All right? But God will never, ever, ever tempt, test, or try you with anything that Jesus has delivered you from. In other words, if he does, what's the point of Jesus going to the cross? Amen? All right. Now, here's number four. Because man is so lowly, and inferior, he is destined to suffer the calamities of life. Okay? I want to show you what Job said in Job 25, verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. Job said this, How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? Even if the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot, and, and a son of man, who is a worm. And I hear, or I haven't heard him so much lately, but I used to hear people all the time back in, in the early days of the charismatic renewal before people started learning different, oh, Lord, I'm not worthy to approach you. I'm such a worm. Oh, I'm so disgusting in your eyes, Lord. And, and that was our perception of who we were. But let me, let me ask you a question. You'll call yourself a worm and a maggot in the eyes of God, but God forbid somebody else call you that. Those fighting words. Am I lying? Okay. So, so what we do, though, is we, again, we take this and we let it shape our perception of God 
Okay? Now listen, let me, let me help you. When you aren't born again, outside of a relationship with Jesus, you are lowly. You are inferior. You are lost. You are undone. You are depending on righteousness that is as of filthy rags, the Scripture says. But once you are born again and you become a child of God, don't ever let those words come out of your mouth again. Matter of fact, let me show you what Ephesians says. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, say, but God, everybody say, but God. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And... It's, it's wonderful that he saved us, but thank God he didn't leave us where we were in our lowly estate and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Listen, we don't say this arrogantly or with pride, but because I am born again, like the song said that we sang earlier, I am seated at the right hand of the Father. I am not a lowly worm crawling the dust of the ground. I am a child of the Most High God. I have been raised up and made to sit together with him in heavenly places. By the way, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, don't ever consider yourself to be lowly and inferior. You were that, but you got saved, and Jesus has raised you up and made you who you are. I'm preaching real hard more than y'all are, you know, but that's okay. That's all right. Listen, you are not just a, I know we feel that way sometimes. We get disgusted with ourselves. I know I do. Maybe if you don't, pray for your pastor, okay? I get frustrated when I mess up. And then when I have to repent, I, I feel guilty and I feel shameful. But listen, we can't be moved by those feelings and base what we believe on that. Listen, um, I love the fact that when I go to God based on 1 John 1, 9, and I confess my sins, that is not when God found out about that sin. You ever thought about that? God, when you come and you say, Lord, oh, I messed up. Here's what I did. You tell him. And I ask you to, and he looks over to Jesus and says, ooh, I didn't see that coming. Boy, I didn't, I really, ooh, where did that come from? No, he's not moved by that at all. What happens is, you know, the, the old saying is, God sees you not through rose-colored glasses, but blood-colored glasses. Aren't you glad? Amen. So listen, don't ever consider yourself as Job did, that you are lowly and beneath what God is able to do in your life. Here's number five, and that is this. What I am going through must be the plan of God for my life. Whatever I'm going through, it must be the plan of God because... God is in control. Everybody heard that? You know, God is in control. 
So everything that happens is happening. Maybe you've heard this. Everything that has happened happens for a reason. Okay? Implying that God is behind everything that goes on. In other words, he preordained and predestined, preplanned everything that we have have experienced and will experience in our lives. Now, I will say this. God is all-knowing. So he knows what's coming down the road tomorrow, next week, next year, whatever. But he gives us the opportunity to be able to change that by what we believe. All right? So look at what Job says, Job 23, 14. He performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Here's the good news translation. He will fulfill what he has planned for me. That plan is just one of the many he has. I want you to look at me very closely. Okay? Pay attention to what I'm getting ready to tell you. God's plan will not come to pass in your life unless you cooperate with it. It is not arbitrary. God will not override your will. And if you choose to go in a different direction than God wants you to, he has no choice but to let you do it. Why? Because he, in his sovereignty, set it up that way. But everything that happens in our lives does not happen because it's the plan of God. A lot of it happens because of the decisions that you and I make. Let me show you, okay? Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite scriptures, probably one of yours too, and that is this. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to bring tragedy, calamity, destruction, to see how far I can stretch you, to see how far I can take you before you finally squeal out of misery. No, he says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God's plan for your life is good, okay? And I will say this, everything that transpires in your life does not happen at God's hand or God's plan. It happens for a reason. They're right when they say that, but, but the implication is it's all because God willed for it to happen, and that is not the case. Okay, the Scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, there's many that teach this, but here's a very clear-cut example. Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20, God tells the children of Israel, he said this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore you choose. But in case you're not sure what to choose, choose life that both you and your descendants may live and that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Now, here's what this verse is implying to me, and that is this. The quality of my life at this moment is a result of what I chose yesterday. Let that sink in for just a second. 
Because some of us might need to make, start making some different decisions, some different choices, okay? So our lives and the quality of our lives for us personally, individually, is shaped by the choices that we make. And there's some things that are encapsulated in that, like what you believe, what you say, and how you think, all of those things are included in that. But the fact of the matter is you ultimately make a choice because of how you think, how you believe, and what you say. Okay, so the quality of our lives, what we are experiencing in our lives today is because of our decisions, not because God willed it. Now, here's the goal, is for us to be in line with God's will, plan, and purpose because his plans are good and plans to prosper and to help us and to give us a hope and a future. That's what God's plans are for. Amen? All right, so now, as we begin to write the, wrap this up, uh, by the way, next week, I'm going to talk to you about the kind of suffering that we do have to endure. So, I know that sounds exciting, okay? But please come anyway, all right? But before we do that, let's, uh, let's talk about, for just a moment, how God showed up and corrected Job and his friends, okay? So, 36 chapters of debate have transpired between Job and his three friends. There was a young man named Elihu that showed up who had a little bit of sense about him, and he begins to, to basically say this. And he was a young man younger than the other three friends, and uh, so he, he said this, hey, guys, why don't we inquire of God? Duh. I mean, that's no different than what we do. We go three months in a problem, and then we say, have I prayed about that? Where's my Bible? Anybody seen my Bible? Okay. So the, Elihu shows up and he says, hey, why don't we seek God? And so they do, and God shows up in a windstorm, okay? And so here's what God said, verse 1 of uh, chapter 38. And now, finally, God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. I'm reading from the message and he said this, listen to what God asked him. Why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Meaning, everything that these guys have been discussing for 36 chapters, they were discussing from a place of not knowing what they were talking about. And now God says this, pull yourself together, Job, up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you and I want some straight answers. Now, we won't take time to read the chapter where God probes Job and says, where were you when I breathed and creation came into existence? Where were you when I told the waters to stand still and not go any further? If you're so smart and think you know me, where were you when I did all of that? There's only one response to that, and that is, I wasn't. I wasn't around when you did all that. So what God is saying to Job and his three friends is, everything that had gone before in the previous chapters was not the counsel of God. And so God goes on, and he corrects Job. 
brings his attention. And so if we look at Job 42, verses 1 through 6, again in the Message Bible, Job is final. So God starts his dissertation in chapter 38. For four chapters, he goes and corrects Job, and then Job finally responds in Job 42, and, and it says this, Job answered God. Now listen, I want you to pay close attention to what Job said. I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. Verse 3, you asked, who is muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit it, I was the one. I believe this was the beginning of Job stepping into the doorway of his deliverance. I babbled on about things far beyond me. I made small talk and, uh, about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen and let me do the talking, talking about God. Let me ask the questions and you give the answers. Verse 5, look, listen to what Job said. I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand. For my own eyes and ears, I'm sorry, forgive me. I will never do that again. I promise I will never again live on crusts of hearsay, crumbs of rumor. Now I want to present to you that there is, unfortunately, a large portion of the body of Christ that is governing their lives based on hearsay and rumors about God. And here's why. Because people, believers, will go to church and believe what is coming forth from the pulpit just because of who's saying it. Well, that's my pastor. He would never say anything wrong. And I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me good. Don't ever take what I teach you and don't search it out for yourself. I'll do my best not to mislead you and, and, and present error to you, but take what I show you and go to the Word for yourself. Don't go by hearsay. Are you listening to me? Okay, don't go by rumors about what you've heard of God. You and your friend conjured up on the phone one day about how God is moving and what God is doing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, friends, I mean, people try and help us, but listen, have your own relationship with God. Okay, so Job responded to God that he had uttered things that he knew not and he repented of those things and God forgave Job from that point forward, and what was God able to do? God was able to show up in his life and bring restoration and healing and recovery. Now, Job made a, 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 a statement. He said, verse 5, I admit I, I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand my, for my own eyes and ears. He wasn't talking about these eyes and these ears. He was talking about the eyes and the ears of his heart. And Ephesians chapter 1, again, we won't take the time to look at it, but Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, which, by the way, you can pray this prayer over your life. He said, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
would come upon you through the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The Amplified Bible says that your, the eyes of your understanding would be flooded with light. So here's the last thing. Write this down, please. Get away from hearsay about God and get your own revelation of God for yourself and from his word. Get away from hearsay about God and get your own revelation of God for yourself from his word. Now see, my job is, as a pastor, is to instruct you and teach you and point you to this book and what this book says. I am not a replacement for the Holy Ghost. In other words, God wants to use what I say to you as it's anointed by the Spirit of God to stir your heart, to bring revelation and insight, but only to further your relationship directly with him and his word by the Holy Spirit. I am not your Holy Ghost. I will not be your Jesus. Never, ever, ever. Okay? I can't. That's not the plan. That's not what God wants me to do. My job is to tell you what the Bible says, but then your part is don't just walk out of here and never crack your Bible for the next six days until you come back in here. Find out. Yeah, pastor said that in his message, and, and, and that sounded really good. Let me really, let me read this for my own self. You know, and let me say this to you. For those of you who have influence in the lives of children, you know, whether you're a parent or you have direct contact with children, listen, and parents need to do this. Always lead your children to have a relationship with their God, not your God. What do I mean by that? Your children need to grow up or those kids need to grow up with a relationship with Jesus on their own, not a relationship with your Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So we, we ought to teach children, we ought to teach young people, and as they grow and they mature, not to fall in love with my Jesus, but I want them to have an experience with Jesus on their own and fall in love with Jesus for themselves. Because you know what? That when the pressure comes, when the trial comes, when the calamity comes, the storm comes, it's not my belief, my relationship with Jesus that's going to bring deliverance. It's their relationship with Jesus and the Word of God that's going to bring deliverance. Have I helped anybody today? <laughs> Praise God. So here's what I want you to know is that God wants to bring a great, like we said at the very beginning, God wants to bring a great deliverance in our lives, but we're going to have to have a revelation for ourselves from what the Word says. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word that we've heard today. I thank you for these precious people that have come and Father, I thank you for the privilege that I've had to speak the Word of God into their lives. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask you in the name of Jesus to cause that Word to become alive on the inside of them. Give them, Father, a hunger and a desire to pursue after you and to pursue after your Word like never before. Father, I never want to 
be a replacement for their relationship with you. I want to be a tool that you use to enhance that relationship and to bring insight. And I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you, Father, that we are learning some truths about you and your character and your nature. And Father, we are finding out what we need to do when storms arise, when we experience difficulties. First of all, that you are right there with us. You're our ever-present help, as we said earlier. And that, Father, you desire to move in our lives to bring deliverance, help, and healing where necessary. And I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for, again, every single person under the sound of my voice, no matter what need they might have, Father, I pray that, and declare that that need is met in the name of Jesus. I thank you for healing in physical bodies right now, for the healing power of God to flow into every single body that's in need of it right now, to bring about healing, to effect a cure, and to undo and destroy the works of the devil. And I thank you for doing it. Lord, I thank you again for all that you're doing in our lives. You are so good to us, Lord. You are so merciful and so kind, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us in the name of Jesus. Say this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for me, for the price that you paid, for you have delivered me, you have saved me, you have healed me, you have raised me up, made me sit together with you. I am a king. I am a priest before you. I am the righteousness of God. I'm filled with the life of God. I have the power of God on the inside of me. And I declare, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.